The following sermon was delivered on Sunday, November 17th, 2019, at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Andover by the Reverend Callie Fire. The title of the sermon is A Closer Look. Here begins the sermon. Among other works well-pleasing to the divine majesty and cherished of our hearts, this assuredly ranks highest, that in our times especially, the Catholic faith and the Christian religion be exalted and everywhere increased and spread, that the health of souls be cared for and the barbarous nations be overthrown and brought to the faith itself. This is from the Inter Catera by Pope Alexander VI, translated by Francis Gardner Davenport. This is a part of the collection of papal bulls that makes the doctrine of discovery. Europe, at the beginning of the 1490s, was balanced on the edge of change. It was now 150 years or so recovered from the horrors of the Black Death, which by some estimates claimed close to one-third of the population. And the redistribution of wealth across a smaller but still rebounding number magnified the atmosphere of growth and expansion. The printing press was still new but was profoundly changing the literacy of the public. Throughout most of Europe, the Catholic religion was the church, except for a few pockets in control of the Muslim Moors and the Ottomans, as well as scattered communities which are a part of the Jewish diaspora. But challenge was rising. Through the writings of earlier reformers, John Wycliffe and Jan Hus, had been, though they had been banned, their ideas were still spreading and continued to influence theologians like Erasmus, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, Zwingli and others who would, in the coming decades, challenge the church and many of its practices. Catholic monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain had created, recreated um, the Inquisition in 1478 after a couple hundred years of hiatus. This was for the purpose of purifying the peoples of Spain and returning orthodoxy to the country. By 1492, this task was almost complete with the overthrowing of Grenada in January from the Muslim Moors and the later expulsion in the spring of Jews from all of Spain. It is within this socio-theopolitical climate that explorer Christopher Colombo, as he is known in his native Lingurian dialect, was granted the backing of the crown of Castile, or Queen Isabella, to seek a shorter trade route to the Indies. I think it's safe to assume that we all know at least a version of what comes next. Colombo gets it wrong, inadvertently and almost literally stumbling into unknown territory and unwittingly welcomed by the indigenous residents there. He communicates his discovery back to his benefactors, including the resources and riches which he has encountered. This brings us to yet another dynamic. So years earlier, Ferdinand and Isabella had signed a treaty with Portugal, whose king was now disputing Spain's right to this conquest. The three monarchs immediately met to negotiate new terms, and Pope Alexander VI was asked to issue a papal bull or a public decree to validate this new treaty of Tordesillas. Alexander was a member of the vast Borgia family, 
and had been born in the territories of Aragon in Spain, of which King Ferdinand was ruler. He would ultimately issue a total of three decrees regarding the exploration of new territories, which essentially would divide the remainder of the globe between Portugal and Spain. The third of these is the Intercatera, meaning among other works, which I quoted at the beginning. Many of us know some elements of the outcome of this history. White European colonizers from Spain and Portugal arrived first to the Caribbean islands and South America, working their way up into Mexico and what is now called the Western United States. Later, other colonizers from other European countries, some of those escaping their own persecution, arrived on the eastern shores of this country. Devastation of the native habitat and the indigenous people followed. Most of us know the large-scale decimation from smallpox carried by settlers against which the native people had no immunity. We have some sense of the outcome of skirmishes, battles, and wars fought with Native Americans. By now, we are aware of the removal and relocation of Native tribes to reservations across the country. Attorney Walter R. Echo Hawk writes, In 1881, Indian land holdings in the United States had plummeted to 156 million acres. By 1934, only about 50 million acres remained, an area the size of Idaho and Washington. As a result of the General Allotment Act of 1887 during World War II, the government took 500,000 more acres for military use. Over 100 tribes, bands, and rancheras relinquished their lands under various acts of Congress during the termination eras of 1950s. By 1955, the indigenous land base had shrunk to just 2.3% of its original size. So earlier declarations from Pope Nicholas V, including the Dum Diversus and the Romanus Pontifex, have also contributed to the doctrine framework. These two documents were the first that gave Portuguese dominion over the right to, see, to the seizure of new lands and permission to enslave non-Christian people. A 2009 UN study establishes that the terminology of early international law, such as Christendom and every Christian power, is in keeping with terminology found in key documents from the 15th and later centuries. The doctrine of discovery is more accurately termed the doctrine of Christian discovery. Now we know so much of this. The World Council of Churches, the Episcopal Church, and other Protestant denominations have disassociated from the doctrine of discovery as Christian faiths. Our own Unitarian Universalist Association in 2012 passed a resolution that, quote, repudiates the doctrine of discovery as a relic of colonialism, feudalism, and religious, cultural, and racial biases having no place in the modern-day treatment of indigenous people. In fact, our General Assembly next June, which is scheduled to be held in Providence, Rhode Island, is no accident. Due to its proximity to Plymouth Rock and the fact that this is the, will be the 400th year since the arrival at Plymouth Rock, 
the, it was a specific choice to allow Unitarian Universalists to be present, to gather, to witness as allies, and to support our indigenous siblings to bear witness of the truth while local communities attempt to commemorate through celebration. So we're talking about documents held by the Catholic Church, which are over 500 years old, and documents which give the Spanish and Portuguese monarchs ownership of already non-claimed lands that were non-Christian, and documents which the Spanish monarchs were never actually able to convince their contemporary European rulers to observe, meaning they wanted to not let anybody else come over, and they were never able to convince them of that. So if other European countries didn't see these as legally binding, why should this matter to us now? Well, it matters because we are still using the doctrine of discovery. From the United Church of Christ material on their website repudiating the doctrine of discovery, In 1823, U.S. Supreme Court case Johnson v. McIntosh, Chief Justice John Marshall used the doctrine to assert that the United States, as the successor of Great Britain, had inherited authority over all lands within our claimed boundaries. This decision allowed our government to legally ignore or invalidate any native claims to property. To this day, courts continue to cite this legal precedent. It is still being used by courts to decide property rights cases brought by Native Americans against the United States and against non-Natives. In the 21st century United States, that legacy of domination is reflected in the undermined sovereignty of our indigenous communities and through congressional and federal assertions of power over the tribes. We see this lived out through injustices in water rights, oil and mineral extraction on native lands, border and immigration policies which negatively affect tribal communities, and the impact of sequestration budget cuts on native communities, just to name a few. When Congress passed the National Defense Authorization Act in 2015, traditional ceremonial and burial sites sacred to the Apache people were sold to a foreign mining interest despite Apache protest that continued for over a year. Senator John McCain ushered this defensive spending bill through and included a rider handing off the land. The rider gave access to 2,400 acres of national forest land known as Oak Flat to the Rio Tinto Mining Company. As a national forest, this land was owned by the American people, and the Apache have been able to practice ceremony there. This land has enjoyed a special mining ban since 1955. With the passage of the Defense Authorization Act, it has become the private property of a foreign company, and a massive underground copper mine is being planned, which will eventually collapse a two-mile area of Oak Flat into a 1,000-foot-deep crater. The intention of the doctrine is clear, that, quote, barbarous nations be overthrown and brought to the faith itself. It was always meant as permission to assimilate and eradicate. It was never about the idyllic imagery of a Thanksgiving ceremony that we created to distance ourselves from the brutal reality. 
We also use this imagery to distract us from the ongoing oppression and erasure of the indigenous experience. The origins of slavery in the U.S. and other European countries is also rooted in the doctrine of discovery. Remember, the first documents were issued to Portuguese explorers invading African countries from which nearly 12 million indigenous people were forcibly removed over the 400-year history of the Atlantic slave trade. The eradication of culture is perpetuated in what Anishabi historian Gene O'Brien names the firsting and lasting, in which monuments, signs, and local history relate stories of the first settlement, the first founders, the first school, the first church, as if there never had been occupants there before. And the same time, marking the last natives or the last tribes, the last of the Mohicans, Ishi, the last Indian, the end of the trail. The continuing use of Native American caricatures and epithets in the naming of landmarks, communities, and sports teams. Justices in water rights and mineral extraction on Native lands, border and immigration policies, especially immigration policies targeting the migration of South American indigenous who represent a significant number of asylum seekers at our southern border. And further, on December 19, 2009, President Obama signed an apology given by the U.S. Congress and the President of the United States on behalf of the citizens of the United States to the indigenous people of this land. Unfortunately, this apology received very little, if any, press coverage. This seven-bullet-point apology contained no reference to any specific tribe, treaty, or injustice, and ended with a disclaimer. Senator Brownback had tried unsuccessfully for about two years to get an apology into a standalone bill, so he asserted this one into an Appropriations Act. The White House did release a press release about the bill, but no mention was made of the apology contained within it. Beyond our own identity as Unitarian Universalists, which aligns us with an institutional repudiation of the doctrine of discovery, what can we do to actively work toward dismantling the resulting oppressive systems embedded in our culture? We can start with education. Learn about the United States Declaration on the Rights, United Nations, excuse me, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Read and discuss an Indigenous People's History of the United States, written by Indigenous scholar and activist Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, who I quoted from in our reading today. Read and share the story of the Utes and the Unitarians acknowledging the complicity of Unitarians in the violent displacement and forced assimilation of indigenous people in the United States. Research the history of places that are significant to you to find out about the taking of the land, about treaties negotiated and often broken, and about programs of forced cultural assimilation. Check with local universities, historical societies, national parks, or national historic sites, or reference libraries to discover websites and books that offer truthful histories about what happened between indigenous people and settlers in those places which are most important to you. 
Find out about organizations of indigenous or native people in your area. Expand your awareness and support of indigenous culture. You can do that by visiting native cultural centers, attend events open to the public, and support local indigenous artists, programs, and tribal colleges. Watch or read and discuss films, documentaries, books, and articles by specifically native producers and authors. Invite native speakers to forums and workshops and maybe to services. Begin a conversation with people of all ages that rejects the mythology of the American Thanksgiving holiday. We can also establish relationships by reaching out to indigenous peoples, organizations, and groups in our area who we learn about, working together to support issues and concerns of indigenous communities, such as environmental justice, education and child welfare, health care, violence against women, land rights and treaty rights, and cultural and language preservation, to name a few. Many of these things are cross-interests with us. Also remember, these are just places to begin. Our culture has worked very hard for a very long time to tell a different version of the truth. Through the small efforts we all make, may we be joined together with others into an ever-growing circle of change, truth, and empowerment.